This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash freelancershow. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. Today on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to talk about pricing. We're pricing in a slightly different way than usual. So, so Jonathan, this, this is from you, and this is from your conversations on your list. So why, why don't you kick it off and tell us what, what's going on? Sure. So one of the things that is super common with especially software developers, but I think uh, really anybody who does any kind of implementation work is, you know, you, you get some sort of sales call set up sales meeting where you know somebody emails you and they say hey we understand you're really good at rails and we need some work done we've got this list of things could we jump on a phone call you know you can give us your hourly rate blah 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 and you, you jump on the phone call and you spend the entire conversation talking about scope you know you're basically asking them okay what features do you want how do you want that feature to work is it going to be multi-user? What kind of security concerns do we have? Is there any PDFing functionality? Do we have to localize it into other languages? On and on and on and on, because you're sort of you're sort of entering the the virtual room, thinking, okay, I'm going to do a bunch of Rails for these people. What I need to find out is how much Railsing they need me to do, and then I'll give them an estimate for how long I think it's going to take me to do all that Railsing. And then we'll have an estimate multiplied by my hourly rate. I can give them a proposal. They can yes or no it, and then we can get go to you know go to town. And the and that's fine if you're good at estimating. That's fine. The you know you can satisfy the client that way, and you might be happy with the amount of money that you get from you know on an hourly basis from that. But over time, it can lead to a situation where you can't increase your income. The client is basically bossing you around. They're ignoring, you know, expert advice. You're, you know, they tell you to do a thing and you're like, that's going to blow up in your face. And then it, and then they say, well, do it anyway. And you do it anyway. And then it blows up in their face. And then they're mad. And you're like, I told you it was going to blow up in your face. And they're like, <laughs> you know, now it's more, we're going to charge you to fix it. And, you know, everybody starts, you know, I'm sure everyone's kind of been there at one time or another. So the, the com- coming at a project, from a value basis, we've talked about many times before, we've talked about how to have a why conversation in that sales meeting instead of trying to figure out the scope. But recently I've been kind of taking it a step further and really trying to drill in how that plays out. And the, the, the thing that didn't occur to me is that I hardly ever articulated that you, when, I'm, when I'm in a sales meeting, I'm not thinking about the scope at all. So, you know, I've described many times what I am thinking about, but I don't very often say that I am not thinking about the scope. I'm thinking about the problem or opportunity. I'm thinking about the desired future state, the desired business outcome that the client's trying to achieve. I'm trying to get really good clarity on that, how big it is, how risky it is, how urgent it is, why they're thinking about hiring someone expensive like me instead of doing something cheaper, all of those things. But I suppose, you know, it's implied in that, that I'm not trying to figure out how many knobs, how many dials, how many tables, how many fields, how many calculations, how many scripts. I don't care about that yet. It's too soon for me to think about that because I don't know what I'm going to do for them yet if I'm going to do anything at all. So I don't walk in thinking I'm a Rails guy and I'm going to do Rails for these people. Right. But it just sounds so weird. I mean, I mean, I, 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 over the last few years, I've been doing almost all training, but here and there, I'm still doing some projects. Mm -hmm. And 
inevitably, right, we have, I mean, it's, it's rarely in my case, a phone conversation. Typically, we actually go in or maybe there's an intro phone conversation, but then I go in and have a meeting with the client and talk about what they want to do. And even if I steer them toward what are their business goals, from their perspective, and maybe it's my fault for not steering them in this direction, but from their perspective, the meeting is there to sort of tell me, give me an oral version of the bullet points or the PowerPoint presentation that someone gave them. You need to do X and Y and Z uh, for for your thing. And, oh, you need to outsource it. That's fine. Now, granted, that's that's perhaps more of a staff augmentation rather than consulting gig. And that might be part of the issue. But even when it's more of a consulting role, I mean, when I was brought into a company where they had no idea how to use Git and I was told, OK, we want you to teach us and we also want you to sort of help us and shepherd us through the whole process of moving toward it and whatever's involved there and like much more of a sort of overall consulting role. And there was a clear business benefit there. Well, besides the fact that they were sort of morons and how they were using Git before, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. And so there was definitely the whole time we were talking, both explicitly and implicitly, this sense of what they're going to want. And I had to be thinking about this because, and I think I did give them a value price in the end. Um, I mean, it definitely wasn't done per hour. I, yeah, it was definitely a value, sort of value pricing ish, shall we say. But it definitely, I definitely had to say sort of, what it included and what it didn't, and that was completely predicated on our conversation. Um, so you're saying, don't even think about that. Think just about the business goals. I mean, how can you disentangle those? Yeah, you. Usually, they the client will in a, in a situation like this, we're both software developers, or you know, historically. Usually, what will happen is they'll come to you and they'll have very specific ideas about want what they want done on a really tactical level. You know, we know we need to have the form fields bigger. We need the buttons bluer. You know, we've got all of these things we've been talking about, these really specific things. And they're kind of doing your job for you there, which I, as an expert, I don't accept that at face value. I want to validate that those things are going to achieve something meaningful for their business. So I'll say to them, I'm like, okay, that's great. And I'll let them brain dump for a while and I'll take notes on all that stuff because it could come in handy. But I don't really care about it, and I'm not going to really explore it that much either. Uh, really just enough to keep the conversation going so they can exhaust every uh, every idea. So once they have that off their chest, I'll be like, all right, I mean, I could do all these things for you. What are you hoping to achieve once this is done? Like, how is this going to make your business better once we have all these buttons blur? And they'll, you know, and they'll sit back and think about that. And And if they, well, they won't always. If they do sit back and think about that and say, oh, you know, that's a good question, you know, I'm glad you asked that. What we're trying to do is uh, whatever. They'll say something that is is reasonably measurable. It could be intangible, but it is something that they can measure. It's They're trying to improve some KPI. They know that mm -hmm. some numbers are down and they want, they want them up. They used to be better. They are now worse and they want them back to better or... They think there's some opportunity to take market share from somebody else, or they think they're going to go into some new space. But there's some some definable business goal. They don't just want 5,000 lines of JavaScript. They want that to do something for the business. They're not going to pay you a bunch of money to, to type up JavaScript so they can print it out on their wall. <laughs> right? Right. You know, need 5,000 lines of JavaScript by Friday. So... If you if you just if you're just curious about so some people will say yeah oh I'm glad you asked that what we're trying to do is change these KPIs and, and it doesn't doesn't happen instantly you know it's a little bit of a conversation could take ten minutes or they'll they'll scrunch up their face and look look at you like you have ten heads and they're just like well just why do you even want to know that uh, and you and if you get light pushback I'll say something like well it helps to know what the goal is because there are a hundred different ways I could approach this project. And I'm not going to ask you a hundred questions every time I have a decision. That wouldn't be good for anybody. So if I know what, where, you know, where the goal line is, where I'm trying to get to, I can make lots and lots of decisions about how robust to make the code base. How, you know, is this something that we're going to, is this a prototype that you're just using as a proof of concept to get funding? Or is this a platform that you're going to be building on for the next 10 years? This is like, there's two very different ways to build this. You don't, you don't need super high quality control on a prototype that you're going to use for demos. Uh, it doesn't need to be extensible in the same way if we're building a platform. So trying to get a picture of the long-term goals, how this fits into your business and not just a one-off thing. And, and usually that'll unlock 
any any soft pushback if they're just curious why you're why you need to know that. But then sometimes you'll get people who are like, look, we have a CTO, we know what we want to do. We already went through a strategy thing with Deloitte. We just want someone who can execute this. We just want your hourly rate and we want you to build the stuff that we're asking you to build. In my case, I'd be like, all right, this isn't a good fit for me because I'm going to be the most expensive option. So you're just looking for a pair of hands to just build this stuff for you and you're not looking for any kind of direction. You believe that this is going to achieve some goal that you don't want to share with me. I can't work like that, so I'll give you to somebody else. So yeah, sometimes, very rarely, I think. It might happen less to me because I've spent a lot of time positioning myself as an expert in a particular space. So people who come to me kind of know already I'm going to be expensive and they wouldn't be bugging me if you know, they, that wasn't the case, you know, if they didn't need somebody like that. So I'm sure when you're starting out, you probably get a lot of pushback like this, but you will find, you know, with maybe smaller companies or when you're talking directly to a founder that they're very interested in talking about achieving their business goal because goals, because they're scared to death that they're going to give you $10,000, dollars and it's not going to move the needle for them. Like they know what needle they're trying to move. And if they're looking for someone to help them do that, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be pretty excited to hear, you know, somebody who asks these sorts of questions because, and that'll differentiate you from the hordes of people who would happily take their money, you know, on an hourly basis to just do as they're told. The founder over the last year and he came to me for some basic advice on what to do with his business. And then he went off and hired someone to do the software for it. And there were sort of two parts of the software. The part that you kind of had to get through at some point, not obviously right away, that just like, you know, dealing with servers and the real crux of the business that would really prove it to be brilliant and new and and, and game changing. And basically, I spent $30,000 on a developer who did part one. It was like, oh, and by the way, part one really won't work for what you need because you're doing something in medical and it's not HIPAA compliant. <laughs> So the guy comes. So the guy comes back and he sort of look at the code. I said, okay. Quite frankly, I don't need to look at the code. What you have is like not useful, right? Mm -hmm. Like you you can't go to VCs and raise money with what he's done. Um, and he didn't achieve the the really interesting part. Like who cares if he's you know parallelizing processes there, <laughs> if the actual brains like are still empty. Um, right. So right. So they're getting a sense of the actual. Um, business goals and having that in mind is clearly going to be important because, as you said, here you have a founder for whom it's his personal money, and even if he's pretty wealthy, like it's his personal money, and so he has very clear goals, and he would be happy to articulate those, mm -hmm. and he'd probably be a perfect uh, uh, like person for uh, value pricing, or so I am hoping when I, when I meet with him in the next few days to take over the project. But like certainly, certainly like there's still going to be some discussion of what he wants to do, not just the overall business goals. Yeah. And, and, and you do capture that, but I don't try, I try to just de-emphasize that in the conversation, but it is kind of how non-technical people will communicate with technical people is by describing user interface features and, you know, that sort of thing. So that, that's them trying to communicate with you. So you do have to capture that and it could come in useful. It could be helpful. Um, certainly from a communication standpoint, you're getting a sense of what they're trying to achieve by the features that they're expressing. And you may or may not do them. It, it, it depends, you know, so you get to this bigger picture. If you do find that you, that your prospect is willing to engage with you at this level, then you know that they're a possible candidate for a fixed price bid based on value because there's some business value that they're going to be measuring. So as you go through the why conversation, I won't reiterate that there. People can, you know, look, look for it. Uh, or we'll link to it in the show notes. But here's the thing that I don't usually I don't usually uh, talk about, which is once you know what that value is, and maybe you know some features or whatever, but you really don't know the scope and you don't really care what the scope is, but you know what the problem is. Let's just call it the problem. And the problem is maybe it's a ten thousand dollar per year problem. Maybe it's that they you know they don't you know they want to cut back on customer service hours and they're it's going to save them ten thousand dollars a year. Maybe it's a million dollar problem because they're spending way too much money on Amazon Web Services because their application is architected poorly. Maybe it's a $10 million problem because a, you know, a legacy chain store brand in the United States needs to reinvent their in-store experience using virtual reality or augmented reality on mobile phones to fend off Amazon. So you look at the problem, the size of the problem. And you're like, okay, 
it, you know, it's going to be a rough estimate, but you can get an order of magnitude feel for it. Like, you know that mom and pop pizza place doesn't have a $10 million problem. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but Home Depot might have a $10 million problem. So, okay, or opportunity, but let's just say problem. So you, now I'm thinking, all right, these guys have, um, let's just for round numbers call it a million dollar problem. These guys have a million dollar problem. And they believe that it can be solved with technology. I believe that that's true. I agree with them after talking to them. I believe that there is a technology solution there. I believe that it's, there's a fit between me and them. And okay. So I, I always give people three options and proposals, always, always, always in a, in a project proposal. And I'll say, okay, in a case like this, I might start at the top and say, all right, million dollar problem. I'm going to have three prices. Let's say I'm going to, I'm going to have a, the least risky solution I'm going to offer them. It's going to be 350,000. I don't even know what I'm going to do yet. I'm just going to pick a price that's less than a million dollars. I'm going to say, uh, all right, 350,000 is going to be the, uh, the highest option. Middle option will be like, let's call it 185. And the lowest option will be mm, maybe a hundred. And then I think, all right, what can I do? If I, if I had a budget, if I gave myself a budget of $350,000, what can I do knowing what I know to achieve this business outcome with the least amount of risk to Home Depot or whoever it is? What could I do? Let's see. If I had $350,000, what would I do? Okay. So probably I would do the strategy part first. I would probably, um, before that, I would probably conduct some user experience testing, maybe some, uh, some customer research on their behalf, or maybe I would commission that. And then I would take those findings and I would do a strategy session with their senior leadership. Okay. We'd come to an agreement there. All right. Then we'd say, uh, perhaps I would do uh, some prototyping or I'd hire someone to do some prototyping. Then I would get that in front of people, get some feedback on that, integrate that into an MVP. Then I would give them, you know, I would hire, uh, any one of three outside firms that I'm uh, well aware of that do great work to actually implement the pieces. And okay, let's see. Now that would probably cost me 200,000 of the 350,000. So that would leave me $150,000 of profit. And that kind of gives me a lot of slush in case, you know, I'm wrong about the scope or whatever. Like maybe it takes longer to do user testing or it takes longer to do the implementation or whatever. But I believe that for $350,000, I can give them something that is going to get them closer to that goal and it, that's going to move the needle in a way that is the least risky for them. And once I have that, then I say, okay, what can I take out of that to make it still profitable for me at the, I think I said $185,000 mark. And then you do it again down at the, whatever I said, the $100,000 mark. So if you imagine you're setting prices by giving yourself a budget and then you define your cost, which is somewhat is scope and cost are kind of the same thing in this regard. You define the scope of what you're going to do. And it may or may not include those features that they talked about. Like those features might end up making it into all of these products. Maybe, or maybe you disagree with those. Uh, maybe you, maybe you say, okay, those are interesting starting points, but all three of these options are going to start off with some, uh, some, customer testing or some user feedback or something like that. We're going to validate these. It's a good starting point, but I'm not making any promises about what's going to end up in the solution. The promises I am going to make is that you're going to be closer to this goal that you defined because I could give you all of these features. And if, you know, if you pay me $350,000, you know, $350,000 for them and you're in the same place that you are before you wrote that check, nobody's going to be happy, including me, because I want you guys to succeed because then we'll get more work. So, the, the idea of creating a, create, of finding out the size of the problem, setting some prices to kind of fit whatever their budget might be and whatever their risk tolerance might be. And, you know, cause the bottom option will be the most risky for them. It could just be like, oh, I'll sell you a block of 350 hours to do implementation and no guarantees about what gets done, but you pay us up front $100,000 and we'll just do this many hours of work. And you can tell us what to do. No project management, no strategy, no access to Jonathan personally. Uh, but yeah, if you if you want to work that way, then fine. So, so the traditional, typical way that this works, again, is like you go into the client. They'd say, we want features A, B, C, D, E. And then you give them a proposal for how much 
you want for features A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, you can call it per hour, you can call it per project, but it's not value-based for sure. The sort of second level is to say, well, you know, if you get implemented, you know, the reason you want, or the reasons you want A, B, C, D, E done are the following business advantages. And those business advantages will probably make you whatever amount. And so that's when you can do value pricing and you can go in and sort of do that. Yeah. What you're suggesting is then, a, B, C, D, E, you can basically set them, assuming that there is some echo, it doesn't have to be verbatim, but some echo from the initial meeting you had with them, because you know that they want those features, but those features are a means to an end, and the end is the business improvement, and you're coming in and saying, listen, you want those business improvements? I know how to get you there, and we can talk about it, but the reason you want to hire me is I know how to get you there better than you know how to get you there yourselves, mm-hmm. and if you're going to start sticking me with, you know, whether A is more important than B is more important than C, or if I should use, you know, formula Q, um, I'm not the right guy for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're tying your hands. Sounds, right. All this sounds great. I guess I, st- I have yet to experience this with very many clients. And maybe that it's, I'm in Israel. Maybe I'm with the wrong clients. Maybe I'm with smaller clients or bigger. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what it is. And it could also be that in the last few years I've done much less project work. Um, and I've done more training. So it could be things have also changed with my clients. And I'm just not aware of it. But in almost every case, there was an amount on um, penny pinching um, and wanting to monitor exactly like having even I, I had one client where they were really annoying to deal with. <laughs> but like, I guess it was about three years ago where they literally had a checklist of what features had been done. And I was arguing with them over what had and had not been done, right? I'd say, no, but we did A, B, and C. They were like, well, we don't really think those are done. Um, and, and then like, and then you fall into the whole trap, which I'd been in so many times before. It was one of the many things that encouraged me to move toward training of like, do I really want to argue this? Do I really want to spend my time arguing with people over whether a feature was done or half done or, oh, they changed their minds and so forth? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I love what you're talking about. And I love how you're describing it. Um, and maybe this is a topic for another time, but like, how the heck do you either find clients like that who are willing to work that way or convince them that's in their interest, even though, and I understand this from our many conversations before, the ROI is clearly in their interest, right? Like if they're going to make a million dollars, duh, they should trust you and hand you a hundred thousand dollars and beg you to take it. Right. I mean, there's some, if you could, if you could guarantee that they were going to make that, you know estimated $1 million per year, you could charge them more than a million, but you can't probably guarantee it, but you can certainly move them closer to it with a high degree of certainty. So assuming that, you know, this is predicated on the notion that you're, you know, dear listener, that you're actually good at what you do and you, you know, (laughs) so there's that, I mean, like you need to be good at what you do, but usually that's not the problem. Usually people know what they're doing. You know, after a couple of years, they, they basically know what they're doing more so than their clients. Uh, who are non-technical, again, why I tend to have people stay away from tech startups because really they just want staff hog. But anyway, uh, not to get distracted by that, the I, I honestly don't think it's the clients. I don't think it's that you've not been coming across the right clients because virtually everything everyone buys always, all day long, is bought this way. You you look at the thing, you see the price, you decide if you want it or if it's worth it or not. You know, if you decide to buy a Coke or you decide to buy a car or you decide to buy a $2 million oil painting, you are, you see the thing, you, for some reason, you think it's worth a dollar or $2 million or whatever. There's no ROI. There's no ROI in a Coke. Like, like, you know, it's not like a tangible ROI. You're not like, oh, I, I spent a dollar on this Coke and now I have three dollars of happiness. You know, it's, <laughs> you don't calculate it like that. You just know it's worth it. So if you can say to somebody, look, I understand what you're looking to do now because you shared that with me. You're looking to you're looking to move these needles like you businesses have KPIs. They have metrics. They measure things. So if if you are comfortable and you should get comfortable speaking business language and say, look, but what, how are you going to measure this? Like, what will it look like if we have a home run? What will that mean for the business? Like if we knock this out of the park, what does that do for you? You personally and the business. 
like, oh, well, if we did that, then, you know, we would be, we'd probably have twice as many leads. Or if we did that, we'd be able to, you know, we have twice as many customers. Or if we did that, we would triple our monthly recurring revenue. Or if this was a home run, then we, you know, and they'll list off these things that you can measure. And, you know, they might not be tangible, but you can measure them. It's different. And you might not be able to measure them exactly, but you can measure that they're improving. So, you know, is morale getting better? Are the clients, are, are clients happier? Is customer satisfaction going up? Is your net promoter score going up? These are things that businesses measure. So if you can find out what they are and then, you know, and let's say they gave you a list of A, B, C, and D features. If you believe that A, B, C, and D features will help move that needle, the net promoter score or whatever, then of course you're going to do them. But you put in the proposal, look, we're not sure yet if A, B, and C, A, B, C, and D are going to, these features are going to improve your net promoter score, but we'll start there and we'll test it and we will, you know, we'll do everything within our power and our expertise to ensure that we get that net promoter score up as quickly as possible, whatever the, whatever the metric is. And if it turns out that A, B, C, and D don't test well and they're not going to work, then we're not going to do them. And I'm not talking about focus groups exactly. I'm talking about, you know, just like user experience testing, that kind of thing. It's not like a focus group like, hey, what should we build? It's more like, you know, here's a, here's a mock-up. Try to, you know, try, you know, user, I don't know, do I need to explain user testing? It's different than a focus group. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about committee driven development. I'm talking about, you know, having an idea and validating the idea and then moving forward or killing the idea mm-hmm. and not, not promising what features are going to end up in the final thing. I've had, I've had clients where I was doing design work for them where I said that they're not allowed to give me design feedback. Like they can give it to me, but I'm not going to necessarily take the advice. Because again, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I remember at some point you gave us this great analogy of doctors, right? When you go in to have surgery, you're not going to be like, oh, and I really want to use the following thread and I really want to use the following, uh, you know, knives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doctor, if you said that, the doctor would think you were crazy and you probably would be because you're trusting the doctor to know how to operate and know how to do their thing. Right. And here you're saying basically, right, don't, you can give me suggestions, but I might very well just roll my eyes and ignore them because you're hiring me because I'm an expert. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't get I wouldn't, to where you need to go. Yep. And I, I wouldn't, I don't put it like that because I don't want it to sound like ego. What I say is I'm going to do what's best for the project. And the project outcome that we all agreed on is this. We've agreed to measure these things along the way to make sure we're going in the right direction. And if you have suggestions that you think are going to accelerate our progress toward that goal, I'll, I'll be the first one to do it. But if you're just throwing stuff up against the wall because your competitors did something that now you're freaking out about, and since we're working on the website anyway, couldn't we just add a carousel? That's going to jeopardize the project. So I'm going to have to say no. We can talk about that after this project is over. Very interesting. So the thing, you know, and we've kind of talked about this stuff before, but I I think the, you know, I I don't think it's that you've got the, uh, the reason I was talking about the oil painting and the Coke I don't think it's that you've got the wrong customers. If they buy anything that has a price, then their brain works this way. So if you can come to them and say, look, I can't guarantee you're going to make a million dollars per year from this, but I've got three approaches that, that uh, will move you closer to that. And I've got one that is the least risk to you and it's the most expensive. And I've got the one that's cheapest. That's the highest risk. So, depending on your budget and your your risk tolerance you can pick whichever one you want mm-hmm. i mean I, I guess to to a large degree this i mean you i know you also make a point of telling clients i don't work like other consultants you know on a whole variety of levels so they know to expect something different coming in maybe that's part of what i need to do i need to say to them off you know uh, right away I'm happy to talk to you about your project. You just know the following things about me. Like, you know, I charge in this way and this way and this way. I mean, not say I charge based on value, right? That's, that's basically no, a, a great that. way to, right. Don't say that. Like it might be true, but you don't say that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, I give you a fixed price, give you a fixed price. Um, and we have to talk about the project, talk about your business goals. And that already sort of gets them thinking a different direction. Yeah. But when they start talking about features, you don't, you, you don't say that, ah, that's not important. You just sort of no. half ignore it. For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month, I get a box in the mail, 
costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. I write it down. It could be helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be right. I just, you know, it could be that that whether they do have some internal expertise or they just got lucky, I might agree that what they're suggesting uh, is good. So I'm going to capture it. I mean, I don't believe me if I I probably sound like a prima donna, but I'm really not like when when the client like my goal is to leave them better off than I found them. Like I want them to be like, oh, my God, I paid that guy. That guy was expensive, but man, that was worth it. Like, I'd do that again. If we had a project like that, he's the first person we call. Like, that's what I want. I want massively high customer satisfaction. So when they come to me initially, and the first signal that I don't say, like, oh, I'm different than anybody else you talk to. But they, you know, one of the first questions they'll ask is, what's your hourly rate? And I say, I don't have one. And then there's a long pause. And they're like, well, how do you bill for your work? And I say, (laughs) I'll give you a a fixed price for the project. And and so you know exactly how much it's going to be. And they're like, really? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's. Uh, was that? Else, and I'll say, is that, is that acceptable? Because some people have to get an hourly rate in order to, to air quotes compare apples to apples and get the cheapest rate. But you know, for most people, they're like, yeah, we can. That's not a deal breaker. Let's talk. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So I just listen a lot. Ask some. Try to ask smart questions. Lots of why, 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 not how, 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 or what, what, what. It's lots of why, why, why. Mm-hmm. So, but the the point of this episode is is to say, okay, you know, let's say that you actually manage to get somebody who is willing to talk to you about business outcomes and KPIs and and how they're trying, how this project fits into their overall business and what they want it to improve, what problem it solves, what opportunity it captures for them. Let's say you find that person, you're finally able to have that conversation. Because I think I think most people, unless they're middle managers who don't know the answers, most people are going to be able to answer those questions and be, be willing to engage in that kind of a conversation. Then, if you get it, now once you have this sense of how big the problem is, you give yourself a budget by setting prices that, and just sort of imagine like, okay, you know, I, I know they told me about these features and whatnot, and maybe that'll be interesting. And, you know, but, you know, if I was going to de-risk this as much as possible for the client, I was going to essentially minimize their involvement to the, the bare minimum of the core things. And I was going to take over every aspect of it. Maybe I, maybe I have to rebuild some legacy system for them, all that stuff. What could I do for this budget? Because the value is not going to go up. If the, if the value to them is a million dollars per year, I cannot come in with a $2 million quote. Like, it's not like I could, I, you know, they, they might have asked me to do something or let's let's t- switch it down to like a, a lower end of the spectrum. Let's say that I talk to them and the value to them is really it's, it's really ten thousand dollars a year. And they asked me to build a Facebook clone. <laughs> right. Like that isn't going to work. So I'll say, OK, I mean, you're asking for a Facebook clone. Uh, I don't see the business case here. It seems like for everything we're talking about, like. If this was a huge hit for you guys, it seems like annually you're going to add 10,000 bucks to the bottom line tops. And they're like, yeah, probably about that. I'm like, well, that let's talk about how you think it's going to affect your business because there's no way I can build you a Facebook clone for less than $10,000. It's not going to happen. And if somebody tells you it is, they're lying. So beware. But let's talk about what you think it's going to do for you, because there might be a way that I can I can do something. Maybe there's something off the shelf that I can connect you with or integrate for you that I can do for a thousand bucks that will get you the you know to the same end goal, the ten thousand dollars a year. And, but again, it's not talking about the features they want. Right. It's talking about their goals, mm-hmm. and then you and then you can sort of string together the features that you think will be necessary to get that to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No business wants software features. They don't. 
They want decreased user churn. They want increased uh, employee morale. They want decreased uh, employee churn. They want increased conversion rates. Nobody wants features. They don't. That's just how they talk about it. So if you, you've got to get past that, the, the, the possible exception to this is when you have, uh, it's not the, the, it's not an exception really, but some people just won't engage in this level of conversation because that's already work that's been done. It'd be, it'd be like, you know, somebody like, okay, we went to an architect, we have our house plans, it's all set to go, we need somebody to build it. And they're looking around for builders and you're a builder and they're like, oh, well, these plans are no good. We need to rethink all these plans. They're, they're just going to be like, no, we already did that piece. We already decided on direction. We just need somebody to build the house. So that, that can happen. And it's not that they, it's not that they didn't have that conversation. It's that they didn't have it with you and they're not willing to open it up again with anybody. So in my case, I'd be like, well, you've already had all the, the kind of work that I do done. Anything else beyond that? The building stuff is something I'd outsource anyway. So I'm going to, I'll just introduce you to somebody and you can get it done. So, you know, if, if the plans have already been made, then it's too late. So, and, and again, if that's what happens when, that's what happens a lot when you're a technical person and you're trying to do work for technical startups or companies that are heavily, heavily tech focused because you're not really an expert. That, that's the thing. Like as you talk, and I, I, again, I know we've talked about some of this before, but it seems like the reason or one of the many reasons people talk about features all the time and like concentrate on features is that's how engineers are assigned tasks. Typically that's how engineers think about tasks. Um, like when I'm at a company, right? No one's saying, or, or I guess people aren't saying on a day-to-day -day basis, Oh, I really want to think, you know, I really want to move this project ahead. They're thinking my, my goals are, you know, or, or my, uh, my responsibility on this project is, um, you know, get the following features implemented. Mm -hmm. And so from their perspective, you're right. The business might not care about those features, but the individual engineers do. Sure. But that, like at that point, it's been Which decided. Why, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so, so that's an important point also that you're dealing with, you have to be dealing with this before the decisions are made. You are part of the decision process, mm -hmm. um, which is an important distinction. Sure. Yeah. It goes back to the, I mean, you know, if, if somebody wants to hire you for staff log, they're not going to engage in a value conversation with you because they've already made all these decisions. So like the kind of mm -hmm. clients I'm talking about are ones where, so this, this all gets, everything that I talk about ties together, all goes back to being a recognized expert. So if you're getting pulled in as a, you know, in, in positioning and marketing yourself as an expert at a particular thing or in a particular space or at solving a particular problem, but something, some kind of specialization, if you, if, if you are recognized in that way by your clients, they're going to trust that you are better at this than they are. If you're just say you're, right. you know, you're a node developer and maybe you're even a core contributor. Okay, great. Maybe you'll get 175 an hour, but we're going to tell you to write node for us. And we're going to tell you what features to build. You're not really a specialist compared to the other people at a Silicon Valley tech startup. But if you are selling your services to Papa Gino's, or to somebody that's not core technical, you are a node expert and you're a core contributor. Wow. And you know how to do, you know, you know how to do these giant massively scalable projects. Well, we're doing a new pizza tracker and we want, we want it in node and you're the guy. All right, great. You know, and maybe they'll even tell you some features. The new, the old ones like this, we want the new one like that. All right, this is cool. Why'd you guys pick node? Well, we heard it's massively scalable. Why, how scalable do you think it needs to be? I mean, how many, how many orders are we talking about per second or per hour or per day? They start telling you that. Oh, okay. And are you having any problems with the current system right now? Or is it really just like needs a, a, a UI refresh? Well, no, we're actually having some problems with it. It's not integrated with our backend systems real time. Oh, why is that a problem? Well, because the, now people are getting the wrong pizzas. And you see how easy it is? Like you can very quickly go from we need a node expert to, well, uh, now we're, we're sending it, you know, 25% of the pizzas that we're, that we're delivering to people are wrong. Oh, wow. And let's right. see. So That's a real business problem. Yeah. And you're, oh, let me see. You just said that you're getting a um, hundred orders per second and 25% of those are wrong. All right. So I know how much a pizza costs. I know how much it costs to pay a driver roughly. So all of a sudden I'm like, all right, this is a hundred million dollar annual problem. 
And, you know, maybe you can only fix a piece of it. Fine. You know, like calculate that out. Maybe you can only get them so far. Fine. So discount for risk, discount for uncertainty, discount for, you know, the piece of, of it that you can actually move the needle on. It's like, okay, how should we measure progress on this? Would it be, you know, fewer wrong pizzas? Would it be quicker deliveries? Like, what do you, what's the metric that you guys want to move? It goes so quickly. If you're willing to be interested in their business and making their business better, it's really easy to do this. And then you're like, okay, uh, now, okay, now I've got, okay, a hundred million dollar pizza problem. <laughs> you know, if they gave and I think, all right, so if I had a million bucks to work on, if I had a million dollars in six months, what could I do that I'd be willing to stand behind the results in some way? Like some kind of bug free guarantee or some kind of, some kind of amount of, of change, you know, 10% improvement or something like, what can I do? And then, then you start thinking about scope and like, all right, here are the things I do. Here's where I would bring people in. Here's where I would buy tools. Here's where I get something off the shelf and think, you know, I know probably people listening are like, yeah, but I just want to write node. You know, I I, I don't want (laughs) to hire somebody else to do user experience testing. I don't want to be managing people like fine, you know, hire a project manager. You've got a million bucks to play with. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what happens if you get pushback and they say to you, wait, you didn't include in your proposal, you didn't include such and such feature. That's when you basically say, look, you know, we, we, we have to be going according to the project and the project KPIs and this is what we agreed on. Mm. Yeah. Good question. No, I'll put them in when I'll, I'll put as much language from the sales conversation as humanly possible into the proposal so that they, they understand that I heard what they said but I'll make the focus of the proposal, the outcomes and the benefits to the business. And I will, and if if I believe that the odds are pretty good that we might not end up implementing those features, I'll say something like, Hey, you know, we talked about these features. Part of option three is that we're going to validate those before we build them because we want to make sure it's actually going to move the needle. It seems like a pretty good guess, but it is a guess and we don't want to move forward with a guess at the very outset. So we're going to validate that assumption and move forward. It's possible that we'll revise it or maybe not even build them and do something completely different. But I just wanted to put these in here so you knew that I captured them. So you can put them in there. It's just not the focus. It's more like mm-hmm. reassurance that, you know, you want the person who you met with to be like, you don't want them to be like, wait a second, do we have the same conversation? Like, you know, you, you want them <laughs> to remember, you want it to be a summation of what you agreed to when you were talking. The only thing in there that should really be news to them is sort of the ways that you might uh, approach the project and how much it's going to cost, like how much the different options are. So it should feel very familiar, like all of the things that you're going to write in the proposal, you should start maybe bouncing off of them in the conversation. Maybe not, but, but basically, you know, but basically you want the proposal to be like very familiar. Right. I mean, I was going to say, do you ever get people calling you up and saying, what the heck is this proposal that you gave us? This is not at all. This is not what we're expecting. This is not what we see from other people and so forth. It's, it happens sometimes. Sometimes I've got like a, sometimes I'll go on autopilot and be like, somebody will call up and it'll be like, um, I'll think I, uh, I, I kind of have a preconceived notion, which is exactly what I'm warning against. But sometimes I do it too. And I'll be like, ah, I know what these guys need. You know, I, I know what they need, but I don't articulate it enough. It doesn't, I don't bring it out enough in the conversation. I just sort of, it's just so obvious to me that I don't, I do a bad job prepping them for what's going to be in the proposal. And then I send them the proposal and they're like, uh, wait a minute. R- like what's the retainer piece <laughs> for, you know? And I'm like, oh man, it, yeah, it, it happens. But it's because I screwed up. It's <laughs> not because it doesn't work. Do you find that they often or at all like are relieved or happy to get this sort of uh, proposal? Um, usually they are challenged by it. So they'll be like, because they'll be like, oh, man, that top option looks really good. But we were not thinking about spending that much money. And so then usually, a lot of times they, they need to be like, oh, I'm going to have to get extra approval or I've got to meet with people or even maybe not approval, but like, oh, I got to talk to my CFO and. You know, so there, it, it can be challenging because sometimes they want, you know, option three, but they've got a budget for option one. So, you know, it, it can, 
be challenging. It's usually, but you know, I would say that happens, that happens regularly, but not all the time. A lot of times they're like, where do we send the check? <laughs> you know, here you go. <laughs> that, that's a good question to get. <laughs> right. And then other times, of course, I get sticker shock. Where you're like, you got to be kidding. This is, this is 10 times more than we were thinking, even the lowest option. And, you know, that's, that's usually that is not something that I could have fixed in the proposal. Basically, I, basically that'll happen when I, uh, overestimate the value, perceived value of the project to the person I was talking to. So like they might not be, you know, they might be a VP or something like that. And they, they might not care about the overall benefit to the brand. They think of it more in terms of what they are, you know, get bonused on every year or something. So the value to them is different than the value to the overall organization. And so sometimes I'll, I'll be thinking organizationally and they're not. And then the, the prices are just like, you know, 10 times higher than anything they could even consider getting approved, but no big deal. So they just, they just say, all right, didn't get that one. Right. All right. Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. So the thing that I want people to really think about the challenging thought, I think is to try not to think about scope in the meeting. It's a waste of time. So, so just try and do everything you can to understand what needle you're trying to move for the, for the business and get a sense of what that's worth to them on an annualized basis. And then give yourself a budget and just have fun with it. Like brainstorm, like, ah, oh, let's see this. I think this is a million dollar problem. What could I do for a hundred thousand dollars? What could I do for $300,000? What could I do for $50,000? Like whatever you want and just be like, all right, well, what would I do? And then you can say, okay, uh, some of these, might be good options. So I'm going to put these in the proposal, you know, and, and have three, have one be very expensive. Even if you're positive, they're not going to take it, you know, because first of all, you might be wrong. Second of all, it'll anchor your other prices and make them look more affordable. And, uh, it will also outline the things that you're not going to do in the lower options. So it, it automatically kind of uh, limits your scope on the lower options, lo lowers your risk and your scope on the lower options. Because they'll be like, oh, well, geez, we thought you were going to be here every week for a meeting. And you're like, no, that was the option that you didn't pick. <laughs> right, right. Definitely the, the tiered pricing or multiple proposal options is always useful because then they see what they're not getting. It's like, oh, I see. Well, we have to pay more for that. Right? That's <laughs> not included. Yeah. Um, the other thing I do get huh. sometimes is, is uh, oh, we want parts of option two and option one. or They'll, they'll want to remix them. Mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, what's your approach to that? Uh, that's usually a red flag, uh, but because they're kind of trying to, they're trying to unbundle it. Uh, and what I'll say, it, it really depends. It depends on if I think they're trying to play games or if they are, if they have a good reason for wanting those specific things. And it could just be that like, oh, I did a bad job guessing at which individual pieces they were going to find valuable and which not. So it could be that they were like, uh, that I'm fine with it, but sometimes they want to take out stuff that I think is actually very important to the success of the project that they think is a waste of time, like discovery or, uh, uh, user research or something like that. They say, Oh, well, we don't need the user research. We know what we want to build. I'm like, <laughs> well, the problem here is that I don't believe you. <laughs> How do you know that that's what you want to build? Did you do user testing? No, no, no. We just know. No, not good enough for me. If I'm going to be on the hook for moving this needle, I need to have a budget to go out and do some actual user testing. I want to talk to your customers. I want to see that on their face. I want to go into a Starbucks and I want to beta test this with your, you know, if I'm, if I was working with Starbucks, I want to beta test this. I want permission to go into three different locations in my area and actually beta test this and give away free, uh, coffee cards or whatever. So, you know, if they want to take something out that I think is critical that, that, that they haven't already done. You know what I mean? So basically if they want to hobble my ability to give them high customer satisfaction, I'm going to push back on that. But if it's just something that, you know, sort of a, not padding, but something that is actually optional, then I'm like, all right, let me, let me revise the quote. I'll switch things around, create this custom fourth option and I'll price that. So occasionally I'll do a V2 of a proposal that only has the one specific thing for them to approve because we've kind of, We've kind of created it uh, collaboratively on the phone after the after the initial proposal.
Right. Right. But yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, I mean, no, there's definitely a lot of very interesting food for thought. And I, I'm, I'm just sort of now, of course, replaying in my mind meetings with clients where um, we so quickly because I'll tell you, we, we so quickly got into features in part because I'm eager to show them that I can solve the problem. Oh, I know. Right? I know. I know. You got to fight that, though. And so it feels like, oh, I know if I help, if I give them some advice already, they're going to be so happy and they're going to invite me back to do more. And I know that some people say, don't do that because you're giving away everything. And I don't believe that. I don't believe, I believe that, that either. Right. If I, if I could give away everything in even an hour long meeting, then they shouldn't be paying me at all, whether it's hourly or any other way. Yeah. But I, I guess, right. But, but I'm, I'm so eager to do that and sort of get into the, the meat of the actual problem that I don't know how often I've really thought about resisting it and saying, don't solve the problem in the first meeting or don't talk about the solutions, talk about the problems. Mm. Um, and because I, I tend to go toward that and the clients tend to go toward that. Yeah. It's fun. You're brainstorming. It's fun. Right? It's like the fun part. And it does. And I do believe that it does build trust. The problem is you're not focused on the goal. So like you're building trust around the wrong thing. And, and it's very seductive. It took me, this was, that was the toughest thing for me to break the habit of was that, but guess what? It's once you're used to it and it's not that hard, like I demonstrated with the pizza one, it's not that hard. And it's just as much fun to imagine solving a bigger problem. It's just a different kind of problem. You still get that, that, that problem solving part of your brain that you love to exercise that we all do. All software developers love solving problems. It just solve the business problem, not solve how are we going to build this user interface on the phone with somebody. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a different kind of problem. It's very, it, it's, it's not hard to do, but it's very seductive to just kind of go straight to your comfort zone and start jamming on like, okay, I'm going to use this for the, I'm going to use this for account management. And you're, you're already like picking parts off the shelf and crafting this thing in your mind to come up with right, an estimate. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's but, you know, try to resist that. That part will come later after they give you money. But it's, imagine that you're solving a different problem. You're solving the business problem. And because that is what you because ultimately that is why they're paying you. They're not paying you because they want they're like, ooh, you know what? I just love the way they did the drop shadow on this button. I mean, I just love that. That's going <laughs> to that's going to change the game for us. <laughs> So it's challenging and it probably sounds exhausting. I, I'm exhausted talking about it, <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's the, tr so like if you are, if you're billing by the hour and you're sick of people micromanaging you, you're sick of getting talked down on price and like, Oh, can you do a little better? You're sick of blowing estimates. You're sick of customers doing stuff that you know is going to blow up in their face. And when it does, they're mad at you. Like, you know, if hourly is working great for you, then great. But if you're starting to have some of those symptoms, then it's time to level up and start solving the bigger problem. In the sales meeting, focus on the business problem, figure out how big it is, create some fractions of that, three fractions of that as prices, give yourself that budget and figure out, hmm, what could I do for $350,000 that's going to get them close to that million that they want and only cost me 75 grand? Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, you're not convinced. I know you're not convinced. No, no, no. I, I'm definitely convinced. Now I'm just trying to think about like how much do I want to pursue project work to try this out and experiment with it? Because <laughs> I'm so doing training now. And um, no, it's not that I'm not convinced. It's that I, I want to sort of have an opportunity to play with this. Mm. I just don't think that I have enough of that. I mean, I have, I have, you know, the, the guy who spent $30,000 on the wrong project. Mm. I'm going to talk to him in the next few days. So that might be a good way to, uh, to talk about. But there, I mean, as you always say, like this sort of pricing is bad for venture capital startups. That's exactly what this is. Or, or personally, um, you know, it's doing a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. um, and we but can talk about that another time. He, like, he is how, in a perfect situation, though, because he just got mm -hmm. burned. So you, it's a very easy in for that kind of a conversation. You say, look, man, I know you just got burned. I, one thing, if, if we work together on this, I guarantee you're not going to get burned. And the reason why I can guarantee that is because the first thing we're going to talk about is exactly what you're trying to accomplish. Not what the app is going to look like, not what it's going to do. 
tell me what your goal is with this. Is it to raise another round of funding? Is it to get your first 10,000 beta customers? Like, what is the goal? What's some kind of right. measurable business goal? Let's figure that out. All right. Okay. And you could even just, if you would just wanted to be super, like play on easy mode, completely on easy mode, you could say to the guy, because he just got burned, it's perfect. You say, look, all right, what's your goal? He, this is the goal. All right. You can just come out and be like, well, how much do you want to invest to achieve that? Like what, give me, give me a budget. You know what I mean? Like take yourself off the hook because it's a new thing for you. How much can you, how much can you afford to spend after just blowing 30 grand on nothing? How much can you afford to spend to, to make this happen and let him give you that kind of a feedback. And you're like, all right. And you react to the price be like, all right, uh, you blew 30, but you've got 30 more. I know what you're trying to achieve. Let me put together a proposal for you. That's got a range of options. I'll give you a range that's that's in that in that price range, but I'm going to give you some other ones that are less risky. Now, be a little bit higher. I'm telling you right now, you know, maybe as high as 75, maybe as high as 110. But I'm going to give you a range of options of how I would do it if I wanted to ensure the outcome. But, you know, there'll, there'll be one there that's 30 also. And then you can just decide. So you can let him set that first price for the, the cheapest option and just totally play on easy mode. It would be hard to have that conversation with someone else, though. But because you know this, since he just got burned, it's the perfect entree into that conversation. Be like, I'm one thing I can promise is I'm you're not going to regret working with me because I'm going to find out exactly what you're trying to do. And I'm not going to do it if I think I can't. Right. Right. And I mean, he was really surprised when, when the, the developer would work on things, show me things, you know, things were broken. It wasn't quite working. So he didn't even show me the app. And so when I spoke to the, the, the guy, the founder, he said to me, well, obviously, like, until you see the app, you can't really make a final judgment. I said, um, yes, I can. <laughs> like, Because basically the, the business goals and the technical achievements were so divergent. Yeah. But he had never thought of that. Like, he didn't even think that was possible. All right. All right. I will take keep that in mind. I will report back to you on how that goes. Yes. Well, the, the other good news for you is that since you don't really need need project work, Every one of these that comes through, you can just be like, oh, you know, just try it. Maybe stink at it. Maybe not. But if you lose it, it's not the end of the world. But you can just keep trying because this it takes practice. I recognize that it takes practice. Mm -hmm. Right. You mentioned before that, okay, so you don't get the project. So you don't get the project. I mean, there are definitely people who are sort of, they really need project work. And to say, okay, so you won't get work. You'll get other work. Mm. Uh, it's sometimes easier said than done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I say all the time, like, secure your keep the lights on money. And even if you have to build by the hour, do staff hog, do 20 hours a week of staff hog at 150 bucks an hour if you want. I'm not going to complain. But you got to leave yourself some time left over to do some marketing, to attract people who view you as an expert in your area compared to them. And be, ha you know, be attracting some leads and practice having these kinds of conversations where you try to solve the business problem try to uncover the business problem that they're trying to solve in the course of the conversation. And, and it allows you to be less desperate and more daring and more experimental on those phone calls. If you know that your rent is going to be paid at the end of the month, if you don't know if your rent's going to get paid at the end of the month, you, this is literally impossible. You, you will never have the right conversation. You'll just be like, yes, yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, I can do that. Yep. 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 I already know how I'm going to do it. Yep. Okay. Let's, I'll give you an estimate in five minutes. Uh, okay, it's going to be ten thousand dollars. Is that too much? Okay, I'll do it for five thousand. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Excellent. Um, we should probably move on to picks. Ah, oh, yes. Do you run your own freelance business, or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere. Available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. 
Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Got, got anything for this week? Oh, you, you do. You do because you put something in, the, yeah. in our Slack channel. <laughs> right. Note to self. <laughs> Uh, so a little while back I ponied up for Google Wi-Fi, which are these sort of, they're sort of like repeaters, Wi-Fi repeaters that you put in your house, but they're super smart. And uh, if you imagine kind of like, um, eh, what do they look like? They look like white echo dots that, you know, you get three of them in a package and you put them in various sort of, uh, the most distant parts of your house. And uh, there's you, you take they're all exactly the same but one of them you you plug into your router your main router via ethernet cable and they become your new access point and even though there's three they they present as one access point in your wi-fi and it is great because you can manage your whole network from this really good uh, ios or android app that you install on your phone it configures all of the access points you can set up guest networks you can set up you know it gives you a list of all your devices and you can have the internet you can have them basically blocked from certain sites or you can have them you know the internet basically turn off at certain times of day or overnight or something so like i've got a, a group of all the devices that my kids use and at a certain time of night the internet just shuts off on those things and they're like oh man <laughs> you hear them like downstairs <laughs> like, uh, must be time for bed you know <laughs> so it's super super good and i know you can configure these sorts of things with other more traditional routers but the interface is usually horrible and you can't use it on your phone and you know all you know, all sorts of all sorts of just clunkiness but the uh the google wi-fi i don't even know what to call it they're just devices they're super easy to use super easy to install uh, really easy to configure. You can turn stuff on and off. It's it's just like crazy easy as as intended by the heavens. Uh, but really nice. And you know they're probably stealing all my data. But hey, <laughs> at least I can <laughs> I can shut off the TV remotely. Um, <laughs> cool. So that's uh, that's one pick. My other pick will be my usual. Um, if folks are interested in finding out more about value pricing, you should go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to take my uh, five-day email course and it will go into these topics in depth and then add you to um, uh, a, a more in-depth campaign if you want that after it's over and Very that's nice. it for me excellent so um as listeners know i'm a little obsessed with china so i will have a uh, pick or two about that so first of all i don't think i've ever um mentioned or shared this um, I mean, so like the first time I went to China, I thought, oh, my God, everyone here is so primitive. They all yeah. use cash. Like no one uses credit cards. This is nuts. <laughs> um, and so everything, everything, everything was done in cash. And I think I managed to use my credit card at one supermarket where they had to like bring out the special international machine. And everyone was staring at me as they brought <laughs> it out because like, oh, boy, one of those foreigners. Anyway, fast forward a few years, and Jonathan, I'm sure you know this. No one uses cash in China anymore. No one but no one because everyone uses mobile apps. Mm -hmm. And the 900-pound the gorilla there, maybe like only 700-pound gorilla, is WeChat, which is an extraordinary program. I mean, I really my, – my children think I just like WeChat like China. And I only have access to about, I don't know, a quarter of it, a fifth of it. Because I, as a foreigner, don't have access to the wallet features. And as I've discovered over time, so everyone in China pays for restaurant meals with WeChat and orders taxis with WeChat. And I don't even see them, you know, paying their electric bills or their gas bills or school fees or whatever with WeChat. Um, I mean, the, these stories I've, I've seen, definitely seen street vendors with WeChat QR codes mm -hmm. where to pay them, you just sort of you know, send them the money. And I've heard rumors that there are beggars on the street with QR codes mm -hmm. where you can give them money through WeChat. So first of all, my first pick is a, a, a New York Times video from about a year and a half ago. So it's a bit dated, but still accurate. You could just imagine everything has become even more so about how WeChat works and how it integrates into people's lives. And if you're like, oh my God, like PayPal is so annoying or sending money from one person to another is so annoying, or when are we gonna have online like actual um, payments? It exists, you just don't see it and you don't have access to it because you don't live in China. Um, so 
I actually have gotten pretty frustrated by this because trying to hail a cab now in Beijing or Shanghai is virtually impossible because if you don't use the app, the drivers will ignore you. Um, and so I've had numerous, numerous drivers drive by me, make a little sign with like their, their uh, thumb and uh, pinky. I like use your phone, dummy. And I'm like, I can't use my phone because I don't have access to the payment. So I literally yesterday found um, the, the 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 other sort of competitor to WeChat is Alipay. And those of you who order from AliExpress might be familiar with that. It is technically possible to use Alipay on your phone as a foreigner, but it is really, really, really hard to figure out. And I've been trying for months to figure it out. And I actually found a blog post that explained how to do it. It requires um, going through numerous pages in Chinese. It requires all sorts of other stuff, but so far as I can tell, it worked. And I'm planning when I go there in two weeks to actually try it out. So I'm going to share that blog post because if this post is true, and it seems to be because I managed to get everything confirmed on my phone, um, and, the, and the app works in English. So I should, I should note, like, it's just the sign-up that you do on the website that's in Chinese, and the guy in his blog post has lots of arrows and boxes telling you what you should be filling in. Um, and so far as I can tell, the darn thing works. I'm very excited to take advantage of it. Like, like some restaurant, some poor restaurant, I'm going to go there. I'm going to ask to pay. And I'm going to do a little dance. Like when I manage to pay, that it works. Mm-hmm. And they're going to think, oh, those Westerners, they're so weird. Which <laughs> might be true. But um, in this case, it'll be justified. So anyway, so uh, payment in China, fascinating, fun stuff. And I'll, uh, I'll be happy to share. I'll share those in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, I guess that is it for this week. Jonathan, thanks a lot. Thanks to all all of you uh, listening in podcast land. And we will be back next week on The Freelancer Show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.